This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Welcome to the interview on the Raptors Republic Podcast Network. I'm Andrew Damelin. Today, we're talking about Raptors 905 guard and Mississauga boy, Nick Stauskas. He is entering his seventh professional season, but I wanted to go back to the days before he was a pro. That's when he was at Michigan, dominating the Big Ten. And to do that, we found the beat reporter from those days. His name is Brendan Quinn. Right now, he covers college hoops and golf for The Athletic. But back then, he was writing for MLive.com, and he had a great Great relationship with Nick Stauskas, and he'll impart some of that knowledge on us today. Brendan, how are you? Oh, I'm great. Thank you for having me. It's uh, this is bringing me back. I can't believe Nick's been a pro for seven years. That it's that, it's that crazy. Makes a lot of sense when I look at the Zoom conversation we're having and seeing the amount of gray in my my face and general makeup. So yeah. Yeah, no, I got I got a lot of gray too. I think we're around the same age. It's kind of disturbing, but but we digress. We're talking about a 27-year-old, not a 37, 38-year-old uh person. And uh I know you only joined M Live, at least according to your LinkedIn profile, July 2013, but you're an Ann Arbor resident. Do you remember the buzz at all when Stauskas comes on the scene in 2012? He's comes out, he's a top hundred uh recruit out of Southboro, Massachusetts. Um, and do you remember the buzz that was sort of surrounding him as he entered uh Ann Arbor. You know, I think it was the the um, the hype over like the, the shooting videos and all that stuff. Where it's like it's it's so interesting now to look back. Like we kind of forget this this kind of YouTube generation of player, where now it's very commonplace for these guys to build their image and things like that via YouTube. And Nick was kind of. You know, I wouldn't say that he's an originator or anything but like that. But, you know, I mean, he was pretty early in the game in terms of kind of building his name via YouTube with him shooting in his backyard. You know, his dad built that that killer basketball court for him back there. And, yeah, it took off. But, you know, you have to remember he was part of a bigger class. And, you know, you had Mitch McGarry was the guy um, in that in that class when they, when he committed to Michigan it was Michigan or Duke. And for John Beeline to beat out Duke for a recruit was just like unheard of at that time. I think Mitch ended up being, he was the highest at the time um, commitment that Michigan had. And then Michigan also had Glenn Robinson the third in that class. And while he was like a three-star when he committed, he rocketed up um, in that, in that final year. So there was buzz around Nick, but it was part of a collective. And, you know, I mean, obviously that class ended up paying off. I mean, you're not going to do much better than that. Even the, Spike Albrecht was in that class too. Yeah, and you were so. Just for our listeners, you're referring to Mitch McGarry, who's had an NBA stint, of of course. Uh, the fact that Michigan made the national championship game in 2013, um, and you know, in terms of that buzz that Nick was creating, I was listening to Stu Douglas's podcast. He, he interviewed Stauskas, and you were on there a few days before that, actually, and he called him the JJ Redick of the Big Ten. Uh, meaning that he was the white guy that kind of pissed everybody off when he went on the road. And Nick agreed, but he didn't quite elaborate on on what they actually meant. Could you sort of describe what it means for Nick to be the J.J. Redick of the Big Ten? Yeah. 
Yeah, it was uh, his sophomore year that persona really came on because, you know, as a freshman, that team was Trey Burke, Tim Hardaway Jr. Nick was kind of a stick him in the corner, hit threes. You know, he just lived on free assists from the best point guard in the country. And and he had some swagger to him. But you know, it was the next year was when everything kind of took off. And as he got going that year, and suddenly John Beeline's putting him into ball screens, and now, you know, he's becoming the guy. Um, that everything kind of built about him. And then he got this kind of attitude. I think in his freshman year, he said he was the best shooter in the country, and everyone just kind of laughed, you know, at, at Nick. But, you know, as a sophomore, now he's the guy, and he was still talking that way, and it kind of, you know, he didn't shy away from the attention. But that style translated to the court. So I remember specifically a game at Illinois where if you can picture um, that arena, State Farm Center, it, the students um, at, at Illinois are on the court the length of one sideline. I mean, they are in it. And I mean, he had a running conversation with a group of students on, on Michigan's offensive end of the court throughout the first half. And I forget what the numbers were. I mean, but he put up like, he scored like 20 first half points, just all on fall away threes and all these ridiculous shots and is just talking and talking and talking. And, you know, after a while you saw the guys that he was talking with, they just started clapping for him, you know, like they could, they just kind of flipped because there was nothing they could do. And he was just making shots over everybody and Michigan blew him out of the water. That might've been the game. They clinched the big 10 championship that year. Um, it all runs together now, but you know, the most infamous one, um, infamous in terms of, you know, <laughs> whose perspective you'd be looking at a lot at Michigan, they'd say it's famous, but, um, at Breslin center, uh, you know, the Michigan, Michigan state rivalry is white hot. Um, you know, beeline has now brought Michigan up to Michigan state's level. Right. And, and instead of punching up at Michigan state, Michigan was now kind of eye to eye and, that team went into Breslin and Nick hit some shots down the stretch in that game that were just those just silencers, right? You know, you know, in the, the college scene where all the students are jumping up and down and, and just yelling in unison, right, for a defensive possession. There, at Breslin's one of the loudest places in the country. And, you know, down the stretch in that game, every Michigan offensive possession, the whole place is just, you know, ear piercing loud. And he just hit a couple of daggers and it just went silent. And, and there was one with a minute or two left in the game that um, might've given Michigan, you know, a two or three possession lead and Stauskas skips down the side of the court, blowing kisses toward the Michigan state student section. And just one of like the all time, like, man, you better go pro. Cause if you come back into this building <laughs> might murder you. So, um, yeah, I mean, he just brought all that with him. And, you know, he was Big Ten Player of the Year that season, led Michigan to um, basically, basically one play from the Final Four. Yeah, um, If that, you know, the Harrison kid doesn't hit that three in the Kentucky game, you know, that would have been back-to-back Final Fours. Um, and, and Stauskas was carrying that team. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he was just a phenomenal college player to, to cover – um, because it, it wasn't only what he did on the court, you know, he would talk, he, he, they'd bring him into the interview room and you better leave some space in your story. Cause he was going to say something if he had himself a game. 
it's so interesting to me because, you know, this is obviously his second year when he comes out, like I said, Big Ten Player of the Year. But after his freshman season, people were talking about him having a swagger. But there was this story by Jeff Seidel in the Detroit Free Press where he talked about um, the insecurity that Stauskas actually had. He said he wrote down every single name that made it on the all-freshman team and every player that was talked about as National Player of the Year, as Big Ten Player of the Year. He said he wrote all those names down and he tried to, like, remember that people thought that these guys were better than him. And he had to actually seek out a counselor because it was kind of messing with his head. And he was thinking more individually and less about sort of the team success. And it seemed like he seems like more of a complicated person than just, just the swagger. Do you remember this sort of transition he had between the freshman and sophomore season when at least according to that story, he underwent kind of a transformation in his mindset. And it wasn't just about the swagger. It was about trying to, be more of a more of a, a better teammate and think about winning rather than those individual not only the accolades but all the you know the the boasting and stuff like that. I mean, there's some substance. There, there's substance to him for sure. Um, and you know, I can I can remember when you know, like any shooter, right? He'd have stretches where the shots aren't going down, and there's no hum- more humbling feeling when you know you're an elite shooter and you go cold. Um, you know, there's there's various theories on slumps and things like that. You know, everything's always your your number's going to pretty much go back to what your number is. If you're a 45 percent shooter and you have three straight games where you're shooting 70 percent, there's going to be a flip side of that, man. So, um, you know, what what Nick always needed to be able to do was try to find some kind of, of middle ground disposition wise, um, because you can't be everything when the shots are going in and then disappear when the shots aren't going in and that that sophomore year you know i mean he wasn't an elite passer but you know i mean beeline ran offense through him put him in the ball screens he was making decisions with the ball he was not selfish at all even though he was you know one of the best scores and certainly in the big 10 and, and in the country and yeah he I, I think he grew as a player that year and kind of realizing that you know the old cliche be more than a shooter um you know, that, that kind of translated to the court for sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, personality wise, you know, I, I think as he got older, he wanted people to kind of see him as more than kind of a, a chatterbox, you know, a teenager who was just out there kind of talking smack and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And you mentioned his relationship with uh, John Beeline. And it was interesting with uh, Stu Douglas and, and Stauskas talking, both obviously having played for Beeline. There seemed to be some coded language as to what they what they thought of him. Now, maybe I'm just reading into it, but they both talked about Beeline's absolute obsession with film study in terms of the <laughs> Stauskas said, we do a two hour practice, then have a two hour film session of the practice. And they said, you can't argue with his success, but, and then they didn't quite complete the thought. Was there any sort of biting heads or any issues that Stauskas had with Beeline that maybe resulted in things being for the best, but perhaps there were issues while, you know, during their time uh, as coach and player? Yeah. I mean, having been, um, had the chance to be behind closed doors with the team when, when John was there and really kind of observe, um, things that's kind of like a fly on the wall i mean he is was as hands-on controlling neurotic of a coach um as you can 
imagine with you know not not being like abrasively disciplinarian about it like in that kind of like general you know like army general i mean like you know uh type way or you know yelling and screaming not that but just like every minute of the day was accounted for and dictated by him and, and you know when you eat where you eat how you eat um what time you're here what time you're there you know being on the road with them was just like mind-blowing to watch I was uh, went behind closed doors with them in Maui once. This was post Nick, but at the Maui Invitational, I spent 24 hours within the program. I could not believe um, just how regimented everything was. So um, not a lot of freedom there. And, and Nick, as you would see him play, right, is a guy who plays free. So um, you know, part of Beeline's success at Michigan came when he was really able to marry the neurosis that he has with the talent of the players he had. And that was everyone from Trey Burke uh, to, uh, to to Nick to guys like Xander Simpson later, right? Um, the, he, he did. He butted heads with, with guys all the time. And it wasn't, you know, kicking guys out of practice butting heads. It was more just, you know, you will do things this way and, you know, you pivot this way. You make a chest pass this way. That part of the elementary uh, way of, of Beeline's coaching has always kind of rubbed especially talented players the wrong way when you get told to basically rebuild yourself. But, you know, a lot of those guys, it, it takes them to another level. Um, and it's, you know, the, the, the number of NBA players he produced kind of speaks for itself. Right. And Stauskas does acknowledge that. He had one funny story where, he was on a tear of shooting. He says he was shooting 66% from three for a, a long stretch. And during a practice, he missed like three straight threes short. And Beeline stopped the practice and said, hey, you got to like put your foot this way or rise up this way. And Nick says, he doesn't recall exactly what he said, but something to the effect of, coach, I'm shooting 66% from three-point line. Like I know how to shoot the ball. And then <laughs> apparently he sent him to the top of the Chrysler Center and then and then, and ran back down and said, okay, can we talk now? So no, they obviously had an interesting uh, re- relationship. But uh, listen, it, you know, it turns out he's the Big Ten Player of the Year. He's, he's done after two years, enters the draft. And there was one story anecdote I read from you. If you if you want to relate to the listeners, is can you tell us the question that the Minnesota Timberwolves, if you remember? I mean, I'm reading this six years, seven years from when you wrote it. So if you don't remember, I'll t- I'll tell it. But okay. what the Minnesota Timberwolves asked Dauskas as a question for their pre-draft workout? I, I have the slightest. <laughs> the question was, how many pennies are in a hundred billion dollars? That was the question, and. Uh, which was seems like an interesting one, and so it was like, okay, I hope, I hope you guys don't pick me. But anyway, he, he actually got it right, hundred million. Um, but um, I was wondering your reaction when he got drafted eighth by the Kings. Were you like, sweet is a top ten pick, or were you more like, um, the Kings aren't the greatest organization? This is a bit too high, possibly for Stauskas. What was your reaction when you when you found out his uh, draft position? It it seemed like a reach just based on you know what production level you would anticipate from a guy taking eighth overall. I know I, I certainly thought Nick had the potential as a shooter to, you know, grow into kind of that Kyle Corver, you know, kind of higher gun type role, right? Where he just runs off screens, runs off screens, shoot, 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 shoot. Um, but, you know, defensively, what was he really going to be? Um, 
you know, I mean, he wasn't a great defensive player at, at Michigan and obviously the NBA is just a whole other animal, but, you know, between his shooting and his, his athleticism um, that he probably doesn't get enough credit for and, you know, his ability with the ball in his hands, you know, yeah, I, I saw him being, you know, a career pro would probably bounce around a little bit here and there um, make, make some shots, make a ton of money. Uh, yeah. I didn't, I probably thought he'd stick a little bit more than he has. Um, but yeah, at the time, eighth overall was kind of, you know, I liked Nick, so I was like, good for him. That's great. But, you know, looking at the, the Kings, I said, this is probably why the Kings are the Kings. Yeah, they had three coaching, they had three coaches that season. Um, and even Stavska said himself, it, it felt like everyone was out for himself by the end of the year. He goes to Philly. Uh, I don't know if I have the right order. He goes to Philly, Brooklyn, Cleveland. Um, and Portland. Do you remember the Portland game? Do you know what I'm talking about? If I just say the Portland game against the Lakers, the season opener against uh, LeBron in 2018, it was it was that was his career high. Yeah. Um, and I remember jumping him, him jumping into into teammates' arms and stuff like that, and I was just happy for him. And unfortunately, um, you know, he's he's out of the league. He goes to Spain for a part of the season, injures his knee um, in February. And it's been a full year since his first game. Now he's three games in when we're taping this with the G League. Have you watched any of his uh, G League games by chance? I wouldn't blame you if you haven't. I haven't. I would love to. Um, but how's he doing? He's looking really good, actually. Um, he's a little bulkier. Uh, he's like 207, and he's doing a ton of just attacking closeouts at every single chance he gets. He scored 23 points against the G league ignite team. They lost the game, but, but Stauskas actually looked really strong. So he looks healthy. He says he feels healthy. Uh, I'm not sure if you've been in touch with him at all recently, but do you feel like, and I'll get you out of here on this. Do you feel like he, first of all, he's in the, he's in the right place with the Raptors 905. And I guess this is, is, these are two questions, which two part questions are always a no, no, but I'll I'll give them to you anyway. Uh, Do you feel like he's in the right place with the 905? And do you feel like he will get back to the NBA? You know, uh, I think you saying that he's bulkier is good because that's always been something when I've watched him and I'm, you know, I'm a college basketball guy. So my my NBA intake is, is relatively low and I don't pretend to know that much, but you know, when I see guys that Nick wants to emulate, so you're Redick, you're Kyle Corbett, right? Those guys are big dudes. Like they got strong over their careers. They got big, like they have shoulders and arms and they are like men playing NBA basketball. Right. And with Nick, I just haven't seen that kind of physical development where I'm like, you know, where, how are you going to really stand up in the league? If you're playing sustained minutes and kind of being asked to do what those guys do, I just never didn't know if it could translate to what his body has been. So you know, if he, and I don't even know how big he can get, right. He might just not have one of those bodies, but um, that, I feel like that's a big step toward getting there. Cause you know, the shots there, the offense is there. The way that he sees the game is there. Um, I, I think if you can shoot the way that he can shoot the ball, like you can find us, he'll find his way back. The question in terms of him staying though, to me, has always kind of been something that goes all the way back to when he was younger. And it's, you know, actual self-belief in your ability as a shooter versus kind of bravado and false confidence. And, you know, I remember him coming back to Ann Arbor a couple of times when he was early in his pro career and us talking 
and him just being you know, like, man, it's really hard. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to channel the guy that I was as a sophomore here where every shot's going in and, you know, I could play this way and I was the man. And when you feel that way, you're more likely to make shots and you're more likely, right, to, to play with kind of that unhindered style that leads to making a bunch of threes, right? And, and, but that versus being a real pro who's able to go out game in and game out and, and work through the stints, right, and not get too down on yourself when you are, it's really, inf- it's really interesting the, um, the comparison between Nick and Duncan Robinson. And I remember Duncan Robinson, when he was at Michigan, um, I once asked him after a game, you know, he couldn't make a shot for like three weeks. And after the game, I said to him, you know, when you're going through a slump like this, blah, 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 blah. Right. And he looked at me and he's like, well, I would answer your question, but I disagree with the premise because I don't believe in slumps. Hmm. And he just said that. And then like, we kept on going and I'm kind of sitting there looking at him and I'm like, well, I'm going to put a pin in that. Right. And so I follow him out and we go back into the locker room, whatever, or, uh, kind of the closed off area. And I go, you know, expand on that for me. So Duncan and I talk and he gets into sports psychology and this idea that he, if he goes 0 for 10, he knows that he's going to go seven for his next 10. That's some, like, everything's going to even out. Kind of like I said to you before. Right. And this is Duncan's an extremely intelligent guy. And this is the way that he views things and that's his disposition. And, you know, so yeah, if he goes to summer workouts, whatever, and he's not playing well, he's not going to get so down on himself, right? Where he crumbles under the weight, ends up getting cut and disappears, right? He just has a steadiness to him. And that has led to what you've seen. So Nick, I feel like that's always been something that if he can find that, if he can find that way of thinking, um, it would lead to everything else. And, you know, he'll, he'll work, he'll put in the work and all that. So, um, yeah, I wish him the, the best. And I, I, I hope, I hope he finds it and, uh, and is able to stick. Yeah, definitely. Rappersnano 5 fans hope for that too. And just to add a bow to that point about Duncan Robinson, he was on JJ Reddick's podcast making the same point and also saying he's not a believer in putting up the extra shots after the game when like the, you know, the arena is empty. He's like, I'm going to put in the same work. If it was good enough before, then it's good enough now. And hopefully Stauskas does find that balance in this uh, new chase back to the NBA. Uh, listen, Brandon, we we really appreciate you taking the time. This was so much fun and we'll both be watching Stauskas closely as he tries to chase his dream again and we hope that you stay safe out there in Ann Arbor and um, have an amazing rest of the day great thanks very much for having me I appreciate it 